0: Um okay, well I'll uh I'll crack off into it. So um welcome everybody. Um uh, it's arrived and there'll be a few more trickle in, no doubt. Um mostly familiar names, but there's a couple there that I don't recognize. So my name's Sam Lang, i manage the Quorum sense Extension Project, which is why I'm here. Um and the topic for this webinar, just as a reminder, is around managing winter feed and nutrition. So this is a, a pasture focused or pastoral farming focused webinar uh, and we'll be kicking off some arable focused ones uh, once the arable guys settle down a bit um, throughout winter so uh, this is the second one uh, we run on a kind of broader one about six weeks ago um, which of which Mark was a panelist and we also had Hamish Belski, Jules Matthews and Minor Smith. So, if anyone wants to go back and have a look at the webinar recording or the audio, which we've cut out, that's on the Quorum Sense website um, or on our YouTube channel. Uh, and so, tonight, thank you very much, uh, Mark, for coming back on um, for a second time in a row, and also Rachel and Kenneth Short from up in Taranaki and Dean Martin from up in Hawkes Bay. Um, now, most of you uh, should have hopefully um, received an email with a Google Drive link that would have taken you to a PDF that has the background information um, on each of the panelists. So sort of just for the sake of time, uh, we're just playing around with using this format. So you can basically just have a quick read of that and you'll get a feel for um, the context of each of the panelists on here. And that saves us sort of 5, 10 minutes um, introducing them and allows us just to get uh, stuck straight into it. So. If anyone hasn't got a copy of that, I've just put it into the chat, so hopefully you can click on that Google Drive link and that will bring it up for you. Um, So, yeah, format for today, um, for those of you that were here last time, fairly similar. We're just going to run through a bit of an overview. I've sent um, the panelists a few questions in advance and this time I'm just going to sort of loosely interview them about 10 minutes each and we'll have time for a couple of questions uh, of each one and then yeah, hopefully we'll move into a bit more of an open discussion like we did last time and uh, yeah if we get um, if we get the opportunity there's lots of experience and stuff uh, in the audience as well as on the panel so if we get a chance um, we'll look at maybe bringing a few people in and um, especially if there's certain topics where we know um, people have got experiences to share that are going to Benefit everyone else. Um, the for anyone, I imagine most people are getting pretty familiar with this, but we'll use the Q and A uh, function down the bottom. So if you get down to the bottom of your screen, there's a Q and A um, box there, and if you click on that, you can type in your questions. Feel free to type them in um, as we go, and then I'll do my best to make my way through those. And if you really like a question, uh, and there's a lot of them, you can use them. you can click the thumbs up, and that'll bring it to the top of the list, and hopefully I won't miss it. Um, other thing to mention is these webinars uh, go online, so they'll be up on our, on the website and the YouTube channel, um, both as a video and an audio we're having a play with, so that you can actually just listen to them as podcasts, we're not sharing any presentations, so um, just looking at building up a bit of a library of things. Um, as we know, the podcasts get pretty good reach, and... Yeah, I think that's all the formalities, but if anyone's got any particular concerns with themselves going onto the internet, um, just let me know and we can cut little bits out or anything like that. But it hasn't been an issue so far. Um, yeah, so the just to recap the last webinar in, in terms of relevance to this one, uh, we did touch a bit on things like winter grazing, uh, cropping and also bale grazing, um, and we had um, Hamish Belsky and Maya Smith uh, and Jules Matthews um, touching a bit on um, their strategies there. But when we and we when I put the call out for um, suggested topics, um, effectively people wanted to dive a bit deeper into that wintering system, which makes sense considering the time of year and we were heading into. Um, so thanks to Dylan and Mark um, for your feedback there. Um, and if anyone wants to go back and recap on any of that, then. Uh, there are some on the if you go to the YouTube one there's some kind of timestamps with the questions and you can you can just dive into specifics rather than having to watch the whole thing and yeah so without um, any more delay I think we'll crack into it and um, Mark's um, volunteered to kick us off so thanks very much Mark and um, yeah so first question is, is really a bit of an overview and just wanting to know how your wintering systems changed over time and for you i think that's probably the last four or five years since you started making some pretty serious changes so can you just talk us through that please
1: <clears throat> okay thanks everyone for coming along today um and uh, it's good to be here again um so so yeah i guess um the I just wanna to touch back on our purpose, which is connection, challenge and creativity. Um, we very much um, get excited about, um, well, I guess the creativity was doing something different and trying trying a new type of wintering system. Um, and yeah, I guess the, the connection was sort of connecting this ecosystem the whole systems approach up um, and touching on challenge. I mean, we like, yeah, we like, yeah, we like challenge um, and creativity was around trying new methods to improve uh, outcomes. Um, So anyway, yeah, I guess there was a few pressure points. Um, One was we were, we saw that we were losing sediment um, in the current wintering system and that was when we were based on monoculture, cropping, kale or beet, um, So yeah we, were, yeah, we were causing damage there and we knew that. And um, yeah, the water stream that we boundary um, has had declining um, macroinvertebrates and yeah, waterway, general waterway health for the last sort of 17 years of ORC records. Um, and the sediment in there now is quite visual. Um, So really, we started moving away from monoculture winter crops five years ago, and we started initially by just planting another species like kale with our fodder beet. and then I started to learn more about regenerative principles and... um, Really focused, start to focus in on the no ear soil policy, or or the um, not policy, but principle, um, and yeah. Then we started planting more diverse crops. Um, so we started to put beans, um, oats, and some type of ground cover in there that was potentially going to stay there after winter. Um, and through that transition, um, we started direct drilling as well, and we we actually weren't getting the yields that we were. Um, and we had a very dry summer one year, and I just got poor yields with my multi-species crops, and that actually forced me into trying bale grazing, so that winter we, we wintered um, year all the cows on bale grazing for one month Um, and it worked so well we progressively just transitioned out of those multi-species winter crops and into towards bale grazing Um, yeah and we're we're this will be our third year on bale grazing and yeah we're under no illusion that we're still importing, um, we're stealing from someone else's natural capital to build our own through bale grazing. Um, but that's our best option at the moment to keep the soil covered um, as we transition towards potentially stockpiled grass um, in the future.
0: Yeah. So what are the, um, if we can dive into that a little bit um, deeper for you around the pros and cons of winter cropping versus the, the bale grazing and maybe the specific challenges or benefits you experienced with those two different techniques?
1: Yeah, okay. So I guess it was just really about having a cleaner environment for our cows um, and the, the people that were working with the animals um, through that generally wet, um, muddy period of winter. Um, so as we started to learn more about whole systems, um, we we could see that we could eliminate dry cow therapy as well by moving towards this all pasture wintering. Um, so we're slowly eliminating that huge cost out of the system as well um, with the cows now. Drying off to nice um, clean pasture, um, and and also there was there was um, beforehand we were we were we were still feeding plenty of supplement, but just on the crops. So it was yeah, it was nice just to to move away from that. But um, I guess the the transitioning of the 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 gut. Um, um, moving on to the bale grazing we weren't then having to do that transition period um, so so yeah that was a bonus but yeah it was it was mainly just the environmental cost that the hidden environmental cost really that that drove us down down this path
0: yeah awesome cheers then what about um i suppose i'm going to dive into specifics a bit further can you talk us through um effectively when you start planning for setting up for bell grazing and what you're trying to achieve in terms of um you know like when you're starting to take paddocks out of your autumn rotation to to leave you know to set them up for for winter etc and how much of your platform and how you kind of calculate feed and then Mm -hmm. i'll I'll stop there and i'll I'll ask one more
1: so we're starting to move more of the bale grazing onto the dairy platform now. Initially it was on the adjacent support plot. Support um, so yeah, we're we're mixing it up a little bit now onto the platform. Um, where we this year we decided to take the paddocks out a month earlier because we were having such a good season. And then and then and then the rain turned off and it kind of turned the opposite. Um, but it's, 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 now it feels like we're integrating the wintering system into like a milking model rather than having it separate. So, so come springtime, um, late October, we've already got those paddocks back in the grazing round um, when quite often we, we need them to extend our, extend our grazing round out. Um, yeah, so managing around that, um, we're using around 60 hectares for wintering 600 cows on, on the bale grazing. And they are currently using around four bales of hay per cow, um, yeah, which is actually a very similar cost to um, the fodder beet model with having your paddock out of the system for approximately 14 months by the time you um, plow it and regrass and graze it. So so the cost is very similar, but we we have yet to calculate the um, ongoing benefits with the extra water holding capacity that the the litter is leaving there. Um, those, Those spots are certainly a lot greener through through this period, and we're having this dry spell. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so do you want, do you want, I could I could speak a little bit more about the the area, if you like.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess the goal here is um to, to help everyone understand how you do what you do and what results you get so they can look at it. Mm-hmm. So if you've got more than yeah, please crack into it.
1: Yeah, cool. Um so at the moment we we uh so i guess we'll touch back on um gaining those paddocks back in the milk um in october so we're gaining them back when we're when we have that um peak milk flow or nearly at that peak milk flow and we're taking those paddocks out when we're at our um you know we're producing half of what we were then so there is a saving we're having there as well with um, with milk flow But also it was really about just being all pasture and helping get our grazing round out longer um, to get our recovery periods longer. And that's where we're starting to see these improvements in the soil health and um, cow health from grazing slightly taller pasture. And then we're starting to get the stock density. That's that's letting us get the stock density up um, and helping us lay down a lot of that litter through that spring flush. So that's kind of creating this fertilizer effect, I guess. Um yeah. So so are yeah, setting up the bales, we generally because we're buying in a lot of the hay for around probably an average sixty five dollars a bale. Um yeah we we generally just take it when the truck arrives. So I'll just yeah, and it's this time of year, basically, January to now, and we either store it under trees or in the paddock, down the side of the paddock, and just fence it off and continue grazing that paddock um, up until we take that paddock out of the ground, which is normally later, February, March. Um, and then we just let that feed grow up, and when the truck arrives, we start placing those bales out. I mean, there's, it's a... Huge labor sort of saving if we can get those bales delivered right on the spot and just unload them. And it's it's really simple like, I'll, I'll target one paddock, which will be sort of like a, a month, at least a month's worth of grazing um, for a, a mob of 100 cows. And I'll just, yeah, the truck will come on there, we'll unload and we just measure the the paddock break sizes or the the three-day breaks. So we set it up, set the bales up and and three-day breaks and um, I measure that all out just with a a measuring wheel and some standards. And that gives me a guide where to place them. Um, And yeah, we're feeding around 12 bales per three-day break. So 12 bales for three-day break. Um, for 100 cows. For 100 cals. I'm still working on around 300 kgs of dry matter per bale. Um, and really the grass, yeah, I'd love the grass to be longer, but sometimes it's anywhere between 2,500 cover and 4,500 cover. So... Generally, I always target those paddocks, graze the paddocks first with the longer cover. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really... Yeah, we're still trying to work the system out. Like, we would obviously like to go to stockpile feed, but we would then have to reduce cow numbers and um, we've still got debt to pay, so we need that
0: milk flow coming in. So that's why we're still buying in. Hey, yeah awesome so uh, devil's advocate question uh, i think you had a pretty dry one to last year but what happens if you get an absolute shockingly wet season um what's the <laughs> i don't know have you had one of those and um and if you haven't what's the what's the plan yeah. when, when you do well, we we
1: haven't had it too bad we we
0: had a period last year where we had 70
1: mils of rain over two days and we try to factor in um, some extra days there for two-day shifts. So we move them a little bit faster. Generally, when that rain's coming through, there's potentially snow with it. So it's colder. They, they eat the hay quicker. So, yeah, we factor in a few extra breaks there for adverse weather days. Um, bad days don't last long. So, yeah, they... Pass over pretty quick and we do have some backup we've got a winter pad that we um bark chip winter pad, drain pad to ponds um, uh, and it has sawdust over the top protecting the, the bark chip and the bark chip lasts maybe four or five years and we replenish the sawdust on top and those pads can hold maybe 400 cows. So that's another option because yeah, I, I generally run my heifers on that pad, feeding them a little bit of silage through winter. Um, this year I'll have my heifers out on bale grazing for at least a month and then move them to the pads. Um, and all that pad waste we had, uh, or material we, um, we compost now. Um, so, yeah, it's the pads are quite expensive. I mean, they're probably more like 25 dollars a little bit more maybe 27 dollars a week what by the time you for a ahead by the time you factor in like the um sawdust the spreading the of effluent and the scraping and stuff so yeah that i mean the sawdust used to be free but yeah it's it's not <laughs> anymore um so yeah the bale grazing is certainly a cheaper option for us. Um, And I guess another thing I should touch on is with that increased soil health, we're seeing from that um, the the litter that's left behind, maybe 10% of each bale, maybe maximum 15%. the, The leftover litter that's creating this extra soil health effect, we're seeing within say, 12 to 24 months um we're seeing the infiltration rates in those areas um just blitz the um the the non-bale areas Um, so we did some 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 infiltration tests in the bale spots and the water was just two inches of water was disappearing in two minutes whereas on the non-bale spots, the water was still there 25 minutes later. So it's created this like soil health effect. Um, so as we do more of this, increase soil health, when we do get those large rainfall events, we kind of don't notice it um, like we used to. The ground absorbs it rather than um, hugs up. And then it's having that opposite effect in summer as well. Um, those areas are infiltrating and holding more water and they growing more grass. So, so yeah, this, this the area that we're really targeting for bale grazing was ex um, cereal cropping, and it was yeah, it's been hammered. <laughs> um, and yeah, most of the residue was always burnt off that um, heavy tillage, so the soil. Um, um, just needs long recoveries with um, pasture, high stock density grazing, and we're also doing the bale grazing on it to try and um, accelerate the repair on that ground.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, hey, thanks, Mark. I'm going to we'll, we'll stop there because I've got another 10 questions I could follow up with, but we'll um, hopefully uh, um, just to the audience, just remember to use that QA. Um, seeing as none of you have got into that yet, we'll just. Um, on to Rachel and Kenneth, and um, but no doubt there'll be um, a bunch that will come in uh, towards the end, and we'll keep diving into that. Um, now, uh, hopefully, everyone's got that um, that little overview open, but just in case you don't, um, Rachel and Kenneth short uh, dairy farming in coastal Taranaki in a self contained system up there. Uh, and if you want any more information on them, just open up um, that pdf there and you can read while um, they're speaking but um thanks Rachel and Kenneth for joining us this evening. Thank you.
2: Awesome. I feel like total newbies but um (laughs) hopefully we can add a little bit of value or something.
0: Yeah I think well yeah I know the feeling the first time I hosted one of these that was even worse (laughs) um but we're all pretty casual here I think um yeah so um Taking, uh, Assuming that everyone's um, having a flick through your little background there, do you mind sort of talking us through, sort of similar to Mark, where your your wintering system started off um, a few years ago and, and kind of where it's come from and where it's moving to?
2: Yeah, um, so we've always been, even going down the, like we're quite new to the regenerative journey, um, but we've always been a fully self-contained all-grass um, system, all our young stock are on-farm and we're really about making the most of the resources that we've got. Um, we started, we've actually got um, two farms that are in equity partnership with my parents, so uh, one's in the 10 minutes down the road and we started an organic conversion on that farm in 2015 um, and then sort of 10 months into that we were quite enjoying what we were doing so we started at our place Um, so and that's a a three-year conversion and then rolling off the end of that all of a sudden we were certified and and we're looking for the next steps and um, looking at putting more diversity and stuff into our pastures and that's where we sort of ended up um, going along to a few regen workshops and um, met Jules Matthews along the way I see she's watching us tonight. Um, Jules was due to come on our farm on the first day of lockdown last year, Um, but obviously that didn't happen due to the lockdown, that sort of got put off for a few weeks. Um, So we finally got her on farm in in May, Um, and have made quite a few changes sort of over the last 12 months. But I think we're already starting to make some changes um, prior to that as well. Uh, So we milk, um, peak milk 400 cows, um, but up to three years ago, we were peak milking sort of at 440, 450, um, so we dropped 40 cows out of our, our system um, to sort of stop trying to put so much pressure on. Um, and we also came from a system, you know, typical dairy NZ, uh, ryegrass and clovers and eat your paddocks out like you mowed them. Um, what I leave in paddocks these days, um, back when we were twice a day milking, the cows would have got sent back in in the afternoon to clean it up, so to speak. Um, so coming into to winter grazing, like I guess a big thing for us, like we're already thinking about winter uh, by January. Uh, winter's not our hardest months. Um, coastal Taranaki, it's, it's the dry summers and the autumns were a, a relative, relatively mild winter. Um, our farm is just about 100% flat, um, free draining uh, volcanic soils. Um, but I guess some of the bigger changes came uh, we sort of used to follow a system that would you know 2200 cover on the 1st of June and and following a feed wedge um, set by Dairy NZ um, now probably the last three years we've gone for more 2800 3000 covers 1st um, of June and, um, and then more so last year like the last couple of years we've been putting in a bit more diversity Um, but last year we sort of put in multi species with about 20 different species to a third of the farm Um, and all of a sudden you know feeling like you're you're babying those paddocks I suppose a little bit more while you're grazing them Um, coming into the winter where we're leaving higher residuals and stuff in, in those paddocks. Um, we did have quite a mild winter but just seeing the response from those paddocks and um, that regrowth um, from leaving those higher residuals Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it's been a um, I don't say hard year to trial things it's been an easy year to trial things um, because it's it's been a hard year to trial things because things have been so easy. We haven't been put under any pressure in the last 12 months. Um, we had a very wet November, but apart from that, we had a very mild winter, a very mild spring, um, and, and a really good summer, autumn. Um, we've had good rainfall right through the summer and autumn. Uh, we've gone through March looking like the desert. Um, and now at the end of March, we're sort of sitting on a 2700 cover and, and we haven't fed anything out yet. Um, so, so as far as trying to trial things um, it's probably um, not been the best is it? we haven't been put under pressure to trial things this year um, but also um, some big changes um, just to our fertiliser management and stuff as well um, obviously we went from from conventional fertilisers um, in 2015-16 with that change to, to the organics um, but we're sort of into the chicken manures and, and not really knowing a lot about what we were using. Um, whereas now we've moved more into the, the fish and seaweeds and humates and and looking at the response to that alongside um, the pasture diversity and heading into the winter um, with higher covers. Uh, and the other thing is probably quite unique to us even when we were conventional, um, we only do hay, um, so we make um, 100, 110 tonnes of hay each year on farm. Um, um, we don't do any silage. Um, so, although in saying that, um, we didn't come from a, we didn't use urea or anything before we were um, organic either. Um, so, you so sort of took pasture quality and stuff on we, Dairy NZ used to tell us that you know, hay was crap, and you've got seven or eight um, megajoules of me in hay versus the 11 in, in silage. Um, but our hay was sort of coming out the same quality as, as the average silage, and um, we went under that pressure when it's a bit wetter in October, November, trying to bale slush. Um, so, we yeah, we only do hay, um, and in the past, we've also done turnips uh through the autumn, um but we haven't done that for about three years now so we're actually that was more for for contouring. Um but we've tried to now just um I've done a bit of deferred, deferred grazing um this autumn as well but just trying to um put that multi-species in that's going to help us through the different months of the year and um push higher covers into the winter. We're not scared to dry our cows off. Um, to um, get them through the winter and and our young stock like i mean they're our future Uh, they eat as much as they like they go to scales every month Uh, they're growing well um
0: can i can i can i jump in there because it was actually a question i had for mark and and um i don't pretend to have the experience to know this but you do hear uh, i guess i hear anecdotes about you know uh, things like you know not all hay is equal and you mentioned there basically your hay being the same me as um as your standard silage so i guess uh and i'm quite personally intrigued in that so what's the secret to growing high me hay um <laughs> i
3: guess we we cut our hay at the length that most people are cutting their silage, so we don't need to go to seed so you're cutting the quality grass the only difference is we're drying it out and when you do a herbage test on it, it comes back and average around 10.1, 10.2. Mm. And you don't have to worry about one wraps or pit silage or but the costs are far out, right?
2: Yeah. It does somewhat go to sea, but just not to that fully rank overground. But it's not full... Of, it was never full of urea either. Um, it was always... Um, yeah, we haven't actually done any testing since we've put in the multi species. So it'll be really interesting knowing that that's what our um, ME was coming back at. Um, yeah. yeah, earlier on.
0: Mm. Right. And do And by any chance, do you BRICS test any of your pastures? that are, yeah. Have you done any tests on that prior to?
2: No, not prior. No. Um, so we don't really have the comparisons there to, to go prior with bricks testing. Um the, the brick promoter used to be for um testing clostrum milk. We didn't <laughs> it wasn't a thing for, for <laughs> conventional farmers to be testing their, their pastures.
0: Well <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I'm personally quite curious if there's a correlation between um between the two. Um the And the other question uh, in terms of say first winter on those multi-species, did you notice anything different from an animal performance nutrition perspective? Um, Because nutrition was one of the questions that came up um, last time as well around, um, yeah, I guess the implications of shifting from, um, particularly a lot of people shifting from winter crops to more grass-based systems um, or multi-species winter crop systems as opposed to monocultures, for example. So any experiences there?
2: Yeah, I'm. Okay. Like, we've never had major animal health issues um, to to come back from. Do you know Like, we've got a relatively healthy, um, we're a full Jersey herd, um, so we go through carving, like we carve Jersey on Jersey, so um, we don't it, right through the winter. Mm. Um, and spring, we don't have major animal health issues. Um, and we also had a very mild winter last year and a very mild spring. Like, we never went through any really major wet patches or anything to really be able to do a good comparison at this point.
0: That's good. I mean, uh, just cut off part. that was uh, asking Rachel and Kenneth on uh, was kind of a deliberate thing to compare and contrast um, uh, South Otago <laughs> long cold winter with a coastal Taranaki opposite one. So, um, so there was um, deliberate stuff. So maybe we'll have to get you back on for uh, for managing managing summers and <laughs> you can tell us how hard it is. Yeah,
2: a bit harder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I suppose so. Uh, just with the last couple of minutes where would you like to be in a few years time where are you heading what do you think's the kind of uh what's the potential for your for your system with a particular focus on getting through winters and um
2: Yeah. yeah um probably the biggest and i talked about ongoing challenges and stuff so we have um Two farms, as I mentioned before. Um, one of the farms has got um, plenty of old box on hedges from my grandfather's day, that's where I grew up. Um, plenty of, like, my parents did all the riparian planting back in the 90s. They also put in riparian shelter belts between um, a lot of the paddocks. So there's a lot of. Um, shelter, Uh, whereas our place, Uh, we have those westerlies, those south westerlies, the dry westerlies um, in the summer and those colder south westerlies um, in the winter, um, coming straight off the Tasman Sea, and it's trying to grow trees, um, both um, as fodder and as shelter. Um, and that's probably, our other farm is full season once a day, whereas we go once a day at Christmas at our place. Um, but we do notice our cows on our, on our other farm lose those winter coats probably three to four weeks earlier than ours. Um, and a lot of that, it's just the shelter, um, but you can't grow a tree overnight. <laughs> um, so that's probably one of our biggest things is wanting to to see that that winter shelter um coming up and that, that real diversity in the pastures and
3: yeah that diverse pastures will help us out in the summer so trying to grow that mixed mm. species they'll give you that crop all year round. Mm. So
2: yeah. And I mean summer's probably um it's harder to grow grass in summer but we don't really get above 25 degrees here and and we've got juicy cows. So so the heat stress in the summer's not the issue, it's that southwest um those winds, those winter winds um, and as far as the animals go, um, although the westerly winds in the summer as well as far as drying the, the pastures out. Um,
0: no doubt the, the hay policy in winter helps um, keep them warm as well. We just had one uh, quick question uh, before we move on to Dean um, from Julie, which is, uh, well, I suppose a question, do you have any chicory in your hay? And if so, any issues with drying it before baling?
2: Um, no, we actually don't because we did like a third of the farm last year um, that did have there was chicory and the multi-species there um, and we did put more plantain and clovers and stuff. The way that our farm is um, set up, we live on a little road with two houses and there's about 50 hectares of our farm across the other side of our little road. Um, so we try to do a lot of our hay and, and keep our young stock sort of over there and there hasn't actually been any chicory put into that side yet but as a plan, so um, maybe we <laughs> need to look into that, that drying aspect before we jump you, in and put it in.
3: You do see it with the plantain and that the, with the bigger leaf that it, it does take probably that extra day to dry,
2: mm.
3: so it's just being real that that you do need that extra day
0: mm. yep. Yeah, I know we heard off putting some chicory in some um, one year pasture just for that reason because I wasn't sure Mark, have you got any experience with that just while we're on that topic?
1: Am I there? Um, no, to be honest, we were just um, buying and hay that whatever hay we could get. To be honest, but uh, managed to get some really nice uh, red clover hay. Um, so that should that's going to go pretty well. I and mean, we got we got the hay from the same person as last year, and we can see those clover areas growing. Um, I've got big patches of red clover, just big round patches in the paddock. That's pretty cool to see. Um, Up to a third of a bale in weight can be seed, so that's quite an important thing for me to bring that diversity into my pastures, um, like the timothy and um, other, other grasses. Yeah. So, yeah, I like to go and look at it, look at the hay for its um, cut down, yeah, for sure. But yeah, if you've got broadleaves in there, that nutrient value and that value of um, NPK and other minerals is gonna be a lot higher. So yeah, that your, your hay with the plantain will be fantastic, yeah.
0: So, so on the flip side, maybe don't plant herbs if you're planning on cutting and selling hay, because you'll be <laughs> selling yeah. a little more. <laughs>
1: For sure, yeah, exactly. No, sorry, I meant chicory, Yeah, but yeah, anything with those those um, high nutrition plants, they'll have plenty of minerals. Yeah, I think that fertilizer, that fertility gets used up. Um, that fertility gets used up, but it's that extra water holding capacity that that um, bale, litter, or mulching layer creates. Um, where the soil health turns
0: up, the worms turn up and things just improve greatly. Yeah, that's the, the main one. So thanks, Mark. Um, we just got one more question for Rachel and Kenneth before we move on to Dean. Um, and that's just, uh, can you just explain your basic wintering system? So I suppose that's um, yeah, in as few words as possible. Um, what does winter on your farm look like in terms of feed and rotation and
2: Etc. Yeah, um, I suppose it's not um, too far, no, it's not too far different to the conventional because it's probably slightly, it's like, so we're a grass-based and we start, um, like as we sort of head towards draft, we're through the winter, we can be on a 100, 120 day round um, with hay. Um, but I guess yeah, the biggest change over those last couple of years is that they're going into a lot higher covers and stuff during the winter, um, and leaving more behind, um, leaving it a bit more residual and stuff, especially last year. Um, but yeah, we start organising planning for winter um, in January, so working out um, like we'll be the first people in the district to put our cows in the truck if we have to, um, if it's going really dry. Um and, and same with drying off, we'll we'll dry off to look after animals um, through the winter because we don't buy and feed.
0: Mm, so that's probably sounds like a key part of your, your your whole strategy there is just really early decision making to make sure you can get through that winter without well, because you haven't got the options to import, you know, what you've got to work with. So you get
2: yeah. away. And I guess even before I mean I mean, there's organic cleaning stuff that you're buying as well. But even before we were um, uh, organic, we were always a, a self-contained system. Um, so yeah, it is about really early decision making and oh. and giving extra cover and extra bales and in your hay barn is, is that um, insurance policy up your sleeve because there's no oh eight hundred J swap.
0: Awesome, cool. Um and. Just one last question, which is probably a really quick one. Um, Michael, just checking whether the multi species you're planting are perennials or annuals. I assume they're perennials.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, we go for the perennials. Um, and last year we went for sort of a more board mix. Um, this year we've gone for more, um, not so worried about our winters, more um, the deeper taproot sort of yeah. um, summer, safe um adding some more summer safe sort of varieties and um, but yeah we've never really been into annuals um, it's always uh, been perennials
0: awesome cool thanks very much um we'll crack on to Dean and no doubt there'll be some um questions after um that will um bring you and mark back in for uh, so dean um for those that haven't uh, met or heard dean speak before he's farming up the Napitaupa Road's about 15 minutes north of Napier on some medium to steep hill country there. Um, and I've known Dean for quite a few years, used to farm about 45 minutes and learnt a lot off him uh, in my early days. So um, thanks very much for being here, Dean. Um, again, if, uh, in case anyone's joined um, that Google Drive and the link has a bit more detail on Dean's system, etc. Um, and yeah, again, just Asked Dean to be on here just so we could um, have a bit more, um, I guess, diversity and a different perspective on a, on a wintering system. So uh, I'll let Dean uh, talk to that. So Dean, if you wanna, I'll, I'll unmute you um, or ask you to unmute if you can do that. Um, that's it, that's looking good. Um, yeah, so if you wouldn't mind, um, just similar kind of talking us through what your winters used to look like um, and how that's changed over time and, um, and, and where you are now as a place to start.
4: Um, yeah, probably the biggest changes we've had a few stocking policy changes over the last sort of 10 years. We've gone from dairy grazers, or if you started off having winter, winter cows on. And then we've gone uh, dairy grazers. We had them for 10 years. Then we've gone into rearing our own calves and trying to sell them as um, younger cattle. So then we were just taking yearling cattle through the winter. Um, and now with um, TB in the area, I'm going a bit more sheep heavy um, this season again. So I'm down to 50 cows, and calf cows, um, what have I got, 40-odd yearlings and 77 um, two-year-old steers. So, um, yeah, the reduction in cattle in the last few years is going to change my, my wintering pressure, especially if it gets really wet. It's a bit easier with the sheep. So um, with when I was doing the dairy grazing, I was basically on a sort of a 50 to 60-day round, And I'd try and be saving up feed in that late autumn period, sort of from mid March to April in a lot of my winter area. And then I basically mined it over sort of three or four rotations going through the winter. And by mid August, I'd be speeding things up. So that, and it was always, um, I'd start off on two shifts a day and then I'd end up on three or four shifts a day um, getting into the early spring. Um, So I had a, did it with those this year with the um, increasing the sheep. I will I'll have um, I've already got eight hectares set aside for about three or four weeks already um, where I'll put forty two year old steers on. That'll be a basically a relief valve against wet, cold or whatever they they can sort of go. Um, I definitely want to get rid of them before midway through lambing to to free up room for the sheep. Um, so that'll basically be you know, five of them on a hectare going around, probably doing similar sort of rounds, probably a 40-odd, 40 45-day round or something like that, two or three times and hopefully they're gone um, and the rest of the cattle will all be in the yearlings and the other um, two-year-old steers will go in with the cows um, I intend to start them with the ewes so they'll be rotating around with the ewes for a start and um, keeping an eye on hopefully through those paddocks that they're not taking out too much of the rougher the rougher, um, the rougher um, pasture on, my, on the faces that I want uh, later on for the cattle especially. Um, the big thing I find is um, when we have uh, wet, cold weather is, is making sure there's enough roughage to um, keep the animals room and full. And um, is, the roughage also generates a lot of heat in the rumen. So if they're on lush green grass, they'll get cold and pace and, and poke paddocks up, where if you've got nice, um, good good roughage to feed them. And um, we usually have plenty of that on sort of northerly faces face the country with poorer grasses. It um, goes a big way to keeping the animals content and not pacing and pugging up paddocks. And
0: um, I remember you saying uh, a couple of years ago that your summers used to be your hardest season and your winters were the easiest and now it's uh, now it's the other way around. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
4: Yeah. Um, with, over the years with improving my infiltration, um, so on a lot of the dry faces, they're now taking a lot more moisture and then it all ends up coming back out, seeking me out the bottom of all my hills. So... Um, my, my sort of, sort of from halfway down a hillside to the bottom, the flat. If there's a flat at the bottom, it'll, I'll have water oozing out. So I've got all these areas that have actually got wetter as my um, infiltrations improved higher up on the ridges, and the ridges dry out nice and quick. But so I've sort of created problem, increased problem areas that I you know, that I've got to be careful with with bugging and i will stay wet for longer. Um.
0: Yeah. Right yeah, for the um yeah, uh, looking at a couple of photos. of Your place back in the day with what it what you yeah, we used to winter down on those flats above the gullies versus uh you basically don't touch them with cattle now. Yeah. Um, but, um a testament to your infiltration rates. That one. Um, and uh, a couple more questions. The what are your thoughts on um I guess there's there's a few different grazing theories going around in terms of um, you know having one big long round and kind of taking you know having a pretty hard severe graze and in in a long recovery versus you're talking about sort of three to four rounds over that 120 day winter period um, so I guess why do you do that from a pasture soil animal performance perspective
4: yeah with her, the big thing I found it gives me options I can move them fast if it does get really wet We don't know when we're going to get a big easterly here and get 250 mils in a couple of days. And that sort of, you know, you have to be able to be flexible to change your grazing with that. Um, And I find those longer rounds, they're sort of a bit inflexible. You have to have the animals at that high density for extended periods of time, where we're moving them quicker and just sort of mining it over a few rounds. Um, it gives me a bit more flexibility. I can just move on, leave a bit extra there and then catch up on the next round in that area. And yeah, just push them onto somewhere where it's a bit drier and then come back to places as well. So I just found it had, had a bit more flexibility for me than just going around on a long round, taking it down. So that extra cover helps, you know, um, protects all a bit as well. And even when I was doing that, if you did get a big wet event, I'd have a lot of time. The neighbours would go past, and um, they'd, they'd think I um, had pugged a paddock a bit to get a bit dirty and stuff. And then they'd all be annoyed that it regrown within 30 days. It was, you know, it looked a lush green grass again. But that's because it just had that bit of extra cover, and it, it it was superficial damage. It was just pushing it into the, the thing, uh, into the ground, rather than, you know, a, a or severe pugging event and they'll just stand up and regrow again sort of thing mm.
0: yeah, awesome thanks for that and um, the other strategy that I know that you used to employ I don't know if you've done it recently is um, some effectively some autumn pasture cropping you should drill a you know oat, oats and a few other perennials species and stuff in, in autumn um, as a and obviously graze it off through winter now was that was that ever a um, a strategy mostly about um, increasing your amount of winter feed, or was that just an opportunity to get a bit more diversity into your pastures?
4: Um, it's a bit of both. Um, it's good for getting winter feed in, coming out of a dry season. So, I haven't done any of that this year. Um, we've we've had some rain over the summer, but we've just had big gaps um, between their rainfalls. was basically going. Um, We had some rain early January, then nothing for a month, then some rain February, and then another bit um, in March, 20 mils in March. So um, it hasn't really got dry enough that I've um, thought to do it this year, but last year I certainly did quite a bit. I did 10 hectares or something, maybe a little bit more. Um, And that's a good way, just putting the barley in and the oats and some Italian ryegrasses is just gives you something that's a bit more winter active when it is cooler um, coming out of a, a dry spell. But I find i got to have those um, perennial grasses set back enough, so it actually needs to turn properly dry and brown to, to give them a good chance to drill them in and, and be competitive, where this year with the grasses stayed kind of greenish through. So if I drilled it and we did get a bit of rain, one my, well, my other grasses would out-compete. So it's a good strategy on those... Um, for us coming out of a dry season a drought sort of type scenario get it in while it's still dry when there's rain forecast and then it competes well with the pasture species that have been set back in a dry spell and then gives you a good good amount of feed over the winter
0: awesome yeah we did have a bit of a discussion about that uh last on the last webinar and because there's a few you obviously have to get your timing and your grazing pretty right um to get, uh, to have success with that, and I remember, I think it was Meyer um, on that pumice country up near Rotorua, He, I think, he said he almost basically drills half the farm every autumn um, on those light pumicey soils and gets um, and just drills straight in and gets a really good strike there. Whereas um, perhaps people on heavier country have to be a bit more um, particular about their timing. Um, but um, no, awesome, thanks for that, Dean. Um, yeah, I think maybe we'll um, open it up for a, for a broader Q and A. We've got um, a couple more questions coming in, uh, and we'll stick with one that's coming from Michael Riley from Dean. And please, um, if you're if you got more questions, keep typing them in. Um, do you have Dean? Do you have a long term plan to help deal with the with the wet flats, or is that just a good thing going into summer? Yeah. Well,
4: yeah, I don't think I can really do anything about it because I'd rather have the infiltration up on the ridges. Um, it's just on that on this papa country, like a lot of the east coast, um, you got that impermeable layer down deeper, so you only get you're so much water. Then it's got nowhere to go down through the soil profile and only goes so far, and then it comes out. So all along the sides of our gorges, there's just the seep at, at that layer of the papa level where it, it comes out any the extra. Moisture in the soil profile always comes out there over long periods of time. Um, yeah, so it's just a matter of managing them a bit different. Um, you know, keeping the, being careful with the cattle um, that you don't take them too low over the winter. Um, the sheep are mostly fine, but when it gets wet, when you have you know there's big Easterly events, you can make quite a mess with sheep too if you got them, you know, um, the too high densities and in the wrong place. Mm.
0: So, but Never, um, we are like with like
4: with with our contour as you've seen it their contours all over the place so even though in a wet flat here of you know there's, there's always a dry normally face close by to put stock onto it's not um my contours very mixed
0: <laughs> and actually so on that note are you um selectively Deferring or increasing covers on your northerly faces to get you through winters with that with that roughage, or uh, does that kind of just come as a result of the poorer, you know, poorer quality species, and you stop not wanting to graze them anyway, so you just end up with a bit more.
4: Yeah, on the worst, on the real um, lower fertility bits, yeah, they certainly don't graze it um, over that summer period once it goes to sea. Um But in a lot of the areas that quality's improved over time, so I don't have a lot of rat's tail left on these faces where when I first started with the dairy grazing and stuff, I'd still had a lot of rat's tail and and those sort of species and I'm finding now I'm getting a lot more cocksuits and those sorts of type type things coming away and um, some of the cockswits are actually quite winter active so I'm getting a fair bit of growth with those sort of, you know, you get a re- Regrowth of that green stuff underneath it as well. So, yeah, it's just a mix of the two. And the, the northerly faces grow better than the rest of the farm over that winter period because they, they're exposed to the sun and they're sheltered from the, the cooler southerly winds and everything. So, um, yeah, by go I find by going around, um, you know, as uh, two or three times, you're getting that good fresh pick coming back again and just slowly mining into that the rougher places as well, the roughage.
0: Brilliant, thanks for that. Uh, We've got a couple more questions that have just popped through for you. So maybe we'll keep going. Um, One from Dylan on asking, what's your altitude and your typical soil and air temperatures during winter? Um, And how do your infiltrated slopes, I guess that's well infiltrated slopes perform over dry summers?
4: Okay, so the altitude, we uh, are basically 40 meters to 280 meters, Um, but there's not much at 40 meters, it's just down the bottoms of the gorge, running up through the middle of the property. Um, What was the other one? The Uh, soil temperature? Oh yeah, the soil temperature varies, a few years ago I did a talk down so I I stuck my soil thermometer down in the bottom of the gorges, and it was reading minus two. So I could go down to Southland and say, (laughs) so that's what my soil temperature is (laughs) But um, for most of the farm, it's a lot better. We'd sort of be in that eight to 10 sort of type thing, certainly on the normally faces. Um, The the worst thing we have is is those wet areas, when they get really wet, that really holds the growth back. and find um, um, properties up the road on the on drier pumice country will actually start growing in the spring sometimes earlier than I will, just because they've got good free drainage and, and the heavier soils just take that much longer to actually warm up a bit and get the get the biology going again from from the excess moisture in the winter. Mm. So that actually
0: leads on to the second part of that question, which is how do your I guess it's good, you, know, you know, you've got much better infiltration um, now. So, how does that affect your performance over dry summers?
4: Um, it's improving it, I hope. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this, the summers um, generally have been easier. You know, that was always the, the hardest part with just changing management in the summer like I do, over the summer I'm doing a lot longer rounds and in the winter, the summer times when I'm doing my 80 to 100 day round sort of thing to get through when it is really dry to get through that summer period. So um, that's sort of the way we, you know, instead of the winter, people doing those sort of long rounds, we're doing that in their summer. So that makes a big difference getting through the summer, just giving everything that extra time. And um, on those normally faces, that with a bit of infiltration, we carry on growing a bit more feed into summer, helps um, get more covers in there. So I'm actually finding that um, from when I started the dairy grazing, I can probably graze these paddocks these for another three or four weeks going into the summer um, before I need to get off them to be able to stockpile up enough feed to, to get through, um, to keep covers on there over that summer period.
0: Right, and yeah, that, that three or four week can can um, be the be the, be the difference between having enough and not. Um, okay, the uh, last question there, Dean uh, from Ross. For now, at least, um, do you run your cattle and sheep in the same mob over winter?
4: Um. Yep. Yeah. When I was doing the dairy grazing, I never did. Just uh, yeah, never figured it was a good look for. The- dairy grocers come down and see their cattle in with your sheep. Um, but now it's my own cattle. Yeah, well, I'll, So I'll start, probably start my cattle in with the ewes for a start and then as ewes get closer to lambing and they they got high nutritional requirements, they'll be going out on some better paddocks and the cows and the other cattle will be onto some rough areas, cleaning up the last of the roughage there. Um, and then the ewes will go back to those paddocks once they've lambed and, and Form part of the spring rotation on there, um, my cows aren't calving till October, so their nutritional demand's not too well into the spring. So they can, you know, do a bit of work in that sort of August period when I'm, my ewes are lambing, and they can be in some rough paddocks that I don't want to lamb ewes on. I can lamb my ewes on a better country, and then do a bit of a swap. Um, once the ewes are lambed, they can go onto that that country where the cows have been in that late part of the winter and the cows and come on to some of the better country as they're the calf.
0: Brilliant. Awesome, well, thanks very much for that. Um, Mark and Rachel and Kenneth, feel free to, if you've got questions of each other, um, feel free to feel free to jump in there too. Um, otherwise I'll just, I'll keep chipping away. Uh, there was a question uh, here, um, Rachel and Kenneth from Bryce, uh, from a wee while back. Um, how do you establish your diverse, uh, diverse pasture mixes being organic?
2: Um, I guess there's been a bit of trial and error, really. Um, But everything goes into existing pastures. Um, When we were using chicken manure, we were chucking seed in with the autumn chicken manure. Um, We've got a seed drill, so we've done some drilling. We've done broadcasting. Um, We've actually got a tonne furt now, um, and we haven't trialled it yet, but we've had some good success rates out of putting small seeds in with the the tonne furt as well. some species like plantain will survive whatever you do (laughs) and you'll see it appear Mm. Um, others i think it's a matter of don't stress um there's stuff that's gone through the seed drill and we've gone oh crap we wasted some money on that and then it sort of appears when the time's right um
3: yes it can come up sort of six months later
2: Plus, I think it. Then it's probably through changing, like the just the natural changes in soil and stuff. We've seen other stuff um, reappear that we didn't plant, like the yarrow and stuff mm. that's coming back through. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question, or is that? Um, yeah, no, I
0: yeah. think so. So no, no cultivation. Um, oh. It's all just direct. Um, to sort of the oversowing or undersowing or whichever.
2: Damn. Yeah. Um, probably the biggest mistake that we made was when I ordered a seed mix and just went, nah, keep it simple and chucked it all into one mix instead of separating the, the large seed from the small seed, which um, we've got the, the boxes on the drill that um, yeah, well, we could I've, have put them in separate. I've um, two
3: boxes, so I could have put the big seed in one box and a smaller seed in the other and changed the two deaths, but. Yeah.
2: Mm. That's probably yeah.
3: That's
2: been a learning, and yeah, don't go too hard on the plane <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't need to add any more of that in. Um, but yeah, there's been a yeah, bit of a range of different ways. Uh, cool.
0: Oh no, thank, thanks for that. So uh, one of the key takeaways there is uh, be patient with with what comes through. Um, Mark, you were nodding there. Is that something you've experienced as well? Um, with the things you've been trolling?
1: Uh, yeah, oh, a farm I visited in the North Island a couple of weeks ago—they were aerating their paddock with a little bit of cut um, after a reasonably hard grazing, and they were—they had harrows behind the aerator, and then must have had a wee spinner on the aerator to scatter seed, and that was how they were sowing an organic model. Um, but not just with the ch- Change of our grazing, really, we've, like a pasture paddock that we planted in 2017 with maybe eight species. Um, The botanists were there last year and they counted 30 species in there now. So there is species diversity um, volunteering back with just longer recoveries, I think. So that's pretty cool, yeah. So we might even park the drill up next year and just not do
2: anything. You're all right. Actually, um, sorry, just to add in one other thing that we've done um, this year was that we did, like it was one of the paddocks that we put multi-species in last year and then um, deferred grazed it over the summer. And it was only four and a half hectares, but we're looking at potentially maybe... Um, doing a couple less paddocks for hay next year, and a couple more um, deferred grazing paddocks. Um, but it's more autumn. That's more autumn than than winter. Um, but we've just um, found those small species to really well established in those paddocks.
0: Thank you, um, Mark. Just going back to a couple of the um, questions that you answered. Um, just in the Q&A there, but thought we might um, just share those with, with everyone in case they haven't seen them. Uh, there was one around uh, from Will around getting rid of thistles with bale grazing. Would you like to speak to that uh, if you wouldn't mind? Um, you want me to yeah. Your <laughs> yeah, yeah, repeat if you like. I uh, was from Will asked um, Have you tried getting rid of thistles with bale grazing? Uh, and if so, what have been the results?
1: Um, when I do see some thistles, I like to set the bales on them. <laughs> but, uh, but I think um, there's probably thistles coming in with the bales too. But I think there's more of a summertime grazing issue, like if the thistles are coming up. So um, if the thistles are volunteering back, maybe recovery periods aren't um, um, long enough. There's not enough ground cover there. Um, and then if you get that stock density up, I've heard of other farmers, another farmer in Korea that whose farm was just covered in thistles and they moved to more of a more density and those thistles disappeared after say two years, two or three years, so be, it sounded quite bad how uh, how many thistles they did have and they just disappeared over time with the Grazing management, so, so yeah, we, we don't really have many weeds now, or you know thistles.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I suppose on that uh, on that note, are you concerned about weeds coming in in your hay, or if someone, um, let's say, if I'm going to go and have a look at buying a couple <laughs> hundred bales for for this winter, should I be concerned about the um, weeds in my, in my hay bales, or would you say if you if you get getting your grazing right, don't worry about it?
1: probably only two weeds i'd be worried about here would be barley grass and maybe ragwort but no i most of those weeds have a higher um uh, mineral value so if they i mean if there's feed value in them then um yeah i think that's great if they're docks and whatever um then that shouldn't really be an issue um yeah we just don't see those weeds as an as a, as a issue um, volunteering back with the way we're changing our grazing I think yeah that's what I put it down to anyway
0: yeah okay so, so on that note we had a um, one of the topics we were thinking we might cover a bit is around managing nutrition um, and I think it was more around mineral nutrition through winter um, so from a um, I guess a an all grass system, um, you, you tend to keep, keep that balance up. But Mark, have you got any um, thing you're supplementing specifically through that winter period when you're bale grazing? Um, or do you find that the hay and the grass, the hay in the pasture's got what your cows are needing? Yeah,
1: no, everything seems to be staying really well. I mean, we, we're still adding a few minerals through our water system. Um, and a little bit of mag. But um, come springtime carbon, we're just seeing oh, a lot less metabolics. Um, I think we had three or four downer cows out of 750 um, this year, like true downer cows when they come to pasture and in the colostrum Um So those numbers are reducing greatly. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few other things. We're not using bloat oil anymore, um, I think, and we're seeing the best global we've ever seen. Um, I think it's just they're getting shifted more regularly and the pastures are slightly taller, so they're getting maybe there's better mineral composition in those plants. Um, so now we'll keep monitoring that and adjusting those minerals that, we are administering through the of through the water. But um other than that, we're not doing like salt works or anything like anything like that here. Just the hand
0: grass. Awesome. oh thanks thanks very much for that. The um I've got one last question here, uh and then uh we'll probably wrap up unless any more pop through. And uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an overarching one to Rachel and Kenneth. Um, which is, Sraam, what's happened to you with your production since you've started your region journey?
2: Um, it's probably not a very good season to gauge it on because we've had such an exceptional mild um, winter um, and spring this season um, and then we've had good rainfall through January, February, March. Um so yeah, I I don't want to be too quick to say <laughs> um, that things are great because we we haven't been put under the pressure of having um, what is a typical dry um, coastal Taranaki autumn uh, late summer autumn this year. But hopefully we've started putting in that diversity and um, getting out to longer round lengths. Um, in late summer, um, that will see us um, into the future.
1: Very
2: very hard year to actually, um, (laughs) um, it's pretty easy farming in coastal Taraniki this season, so it's quite a hard year to gauge it off.
0: Yeah, yeah. and um, I think we were were talking about, um, before we went live, that you're a and NZ case study farm, so that kind of data, uh, over, over time, does that kind of get updated every year? Um, on through the Dairy and Dead stuff so you, you're tracking a few things in that regard.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah and we've been a case study for about five years now so yeah cool. it gets updated every six months.
0: Awesome. Yeah I, I get quite jealous of dairy farmers who have all this you know this wealth of data that just gets automated and pumped out pretty much every year and milk your ears and, and all that kind of stuff compared to the um, us sheep and beef farmers, we have to actually get our cattle in and weigh them to get anything quantified. But, uh, um, but on the on the flip side, uh, yeah, I think we just learn we learn a heap from from the fact that you do that get that kind of detailed data coming through, um, which is awesome. All right. Well, uh, unless uh, anyone has any last questions or you've got questions of each other, uh, I think we'll be we'll be wrapping up there. Um, Oh yeah. Um, Sounds like the Taranaki is a pretty
1: damn good place to farm. Um, How do you manage your um, cell count and your um, mastitis and stuff in the organic system? You you, you said your herd health's really good. Um, So has it been pretty easy or challenging?
2: Um, I think you go into a lot more sort of preventative um, mode and I mean it's one thing that you mentioned uh, like you know you go and have your cash sort of stray voltage tested and all that sort of um, uh, you sort of go reasonably heavy on um, culling I think probably in those first couple of years um, lucky to have sort of lower empty rates and stuff that we have that um, culling capacity um, and saying that like some of the stuff like we've actually just watched our animal health just get better and better over time and, and there's a lot of sort of stigma around uh, once a day farming and stuff we've got our little farm 190 cows it has been once a day for five seasons now um, we're in the autumn the south count's sitting at 100 um, like it's not like um, Yeah, like there's no major cell count issues or anything. But yeah, I think you just go into that preventative sort of mode and there's there's plenty of organic remedies and stuff on the market that there didn't used to be. There's quite a few organic farms in coastal Taranaki that converted about 20 years ago. Um, And there used to sort of be a saying, every organic farm needed a, a conventional farm. Uh, down the road that they could send an animal to if it needed a good dose of antibiotics um, but that's not the case anymore there's sort of enough organic remedies and stuff on the market um, If, if
0: um, yeah cool oh I'll, um, I'll just wrap it up then and say uh, thanks very much Mark Dean and Rachel and Kenneth for, um, for, for being on here and sharing um, I think Rachel and Kenneth this was the first webinar you've done so um, much appreciated and far more awkward than being out in the paddock um, with a spade and gumboots. So, um, perhaps, well, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm looking forward to some point being able to um, bring my gumboots and a spade up to your place and um, potentially look at um, leasing a farm up your way rather than down here because it sounds like I'm <laughs> pretty sure that there might be a bit more demand in the market after this evening. Um,
2: not, not every season's like this. Yeah. And we pay we pay top dollar for our land too. So
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, good point. That's well out of my price range. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. So just to wrap up um, this, uh, if anyone wants to listen back to, to any of this, we will have it up on the and um, the website in that um, in a few days' time. And as uh, as per last time, just really keen to um, try and improve these webinars and make them more valuable to people as we go. So if you've got any ideas for topics next time, ways we can change the formats, people that you want to hear from, et cetera, please uh, yeah, email me, it's probably the best. Or for those of you um, on the WhatsApp group, uh, just flick me a message. And you're yeah, really keen to sort of have everybody helping drive where these head and making sure they're valuable to everyone. So thanks Dean, Rachel, Kenneth and Mark.